Blog Talk Radio. JBL and John Cena in the video package hyping up their I Quit match that will be in the main event. 
that we'll be covering later tonight. But yeah, this is uh this is like this is our first watch along here on the Ken Reedy show that I'm pretty excited and pumped for. So uh, you know, Ken, I mean, I don't know, what, what's your take on this? Were you excited to do a watch along? Was it something that you were, were a little nervous about? I mean. This is uncharted waters for us here. So yeah, I'll do a little bit of both. I mean, I'll be honest. I, I was excited about it. You know, I'm excited to go to yesteryear. Um, it's interesting watching, 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 watching the opening montage, and you can tell already, which is incredible. And, and when you think about John Cena, you know, as he straddles different eras, like how different the WWE was at this time, 13 years ago. And, and it's pretty incredible that, you know, even our, our producer, Michelle, who kind of was becoming a fan right around that time period and how much the product has changed over time. You know, not quite the attitude error here, but definitely a little edgier, I shouldn't say, a, little, a lot edgier than we have now. A lot has changed over this decade plus. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you, as you see right here, uh, Eminem with Molina. Uh, Mercury Nitro, the WWE Tag Team Champions. Uh, you know, most of the girls in, in, in today's, uh, you know, women's revolution, evolution, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, they're, they're seen as, as uh, you know, athletic figures. Melina here is looked at as a sex symbol. And you'll see as her entrance comes, uh, you know, makes its way on the red carpet with the paparazzi. I thought this was a pretty innovative entrance at the time. Um, but the camera shots and then, her, of course, the way that she gets into the ring, um, it's definitely something, you know, something you don't see in today's wrestling world. And that's um, the the uh, emphasis on uh, the uh, the sexuality that, the, that that women had presented back then in WWE. And actually, it's, it's a sexuality all around with, with uh, you know, these characters. And I agree with you. I thought uh, Eminem was definitely innovative for the time, um, obnoxious. Uh, you know, obviously, Johnny Nitro, uh, cut out of granite, uh, you know, great physique. And, and Joey Mercury, you know, they made a really great tag team. It was really a shame, you know, what happened to Joey Mercury um, in the not-too-distant future. I'm trying to remember the year where he had that horrible accident in the ladder match. Uh, that was, uh, 2006, 2006. So a year or so after this, um, you know, he had painkiller problems and a whole host of issues after that, uh, issue with the ladder. Um, but this tag team for the time, the look, the valet, everything, everything was working. And that's why these guys were tag team champions. It's interesting because when you look at these guys as tag team champions, uh, a great gimmick at the time. Uh, a great look, great valet, I mean, and, and great workers. I mean, you look at this tag team, and they're the total package. I mean, you can't get much better if you're going to try to create the perfect tag team. You might very well come up with Joey Mercury and Johnny Nitro. However, as far as the history of tag teams go, they're barely a footnote. They made it to the top of the mountain. They they won the tag team championships. But honestly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I look at them as, barely a footnote when you look at the history of tag team wrestling. I would happen to agree with you. I mean, judging by their opponents, as you can see in the ring, Charlie Haas and Hardcore Holly, a random thrown together tag team. Eminem came up during the wrong period uh, of, uh, 
you know, tag team wrestling, uh, a r- a wrong time for them. I-, I-, I should say if they came in currently in-, in-, in today's landscape, I think they would be a much more successful tag team. But this was during an era where you had, you know, tag team wrestling was not emphasized on WWE on both raw or SmackDown. And this was part of the, the-, the brand extension, of course. And Eminem was, you know, the, the-, the bright spot in tag team wrestling, but it just really, like I said, it wasn't emphasized. They took a lot of guys and threw, you know, two singles wrestlers together and they, and they were just trying to figure out if it would stick or not. A lot of teams didn't work out so well, but then a lot of other teams, you know, you saw some, you know, a a happy, you know, accident, so to speak, in terms of uh, the success of some of these thrown together tag teams, Batista and Rey Mysterio, uh, Edge and Randy Orton. I mean, you know, the, the, the list goes on. There were probably more, thrown together tag teams of two singles wrestlers than actual genuine tag teams during this era of tag team wrestling in WWE. Yeah, you're, it's, it's a good point. I mean, I look at these two and I'm like, you know, we were watching Monday Night Raw and this team like popped in debuting from NXT. Um, you know, they got, again, the look, the valet, um, you know, how many years on this show are we saying, you know, can we just do something with tag team wrestling? And I think the WWE, I mean, they're moving in the right direction, but I think we've seen in the current product the damage done to the tag team division. It's it's in a better place right now, but I still think there's a lot of work to do as far as um, building up and maintaining the tag team division in the WWE. And it's a shame when you look at these guys right now. I mean, you have four guys that could really go in that ring. Charlie Haas, another underrated guy going to work right now in the ring, fundamentals, working on the arm, you know, good, solid wrestling going on right now. First pin and was he get two count there? Um, you know, definitely guys that, you know, today's, especially when you think of the internet wrestling fan, that the, the IWC would go gaga over definitely Eminem, Eminem, if not also Charlie Haas. And yet, like you said, came around in the wrong era. Yeah, I mean – Haas is a guy that was very map-based, ground-based. Um, his greatest success came with uh, Kurt Angle as a part of Team Angle. And then, of course, uh, when him and Shelton Benjamin split off of that team to, to form the world's greatest tag team, um, I really enjoyed their, you know, his work in those two runs. Uh, but, I mean, unfortunately, he was one of those guys that, you know, that just was snake-bitten with, uh, you know, personality issues. He really didn't have much of a personality that connected with an audience. And for a guy like him – um, you know, it, it, having a personality in, in, in wrestling is helpful and, and, and much needed. There's guys that don't need over-the-top personalities but can go bell to bell in the ring and still get over. Haas, on the other hand, especially during this era when, you know, the, the, the personalities and, the, and the, uh, the, the characters were, you know, primary and the in-ring work are secondary – Haas was one of those victims of, you know, just kind of getting lost in the shuffle. And then there's Bob Holly, who it just seems like they could never get rid of him. I mean, he was, you know, sparky plug and, you know, the he, part of the job squad at one point. And they just, I don't know, they just felt like I guess they had to do something with him. Nothing wrong with him as a performer, but for me, I just like watching this back then and watching it now, looking at this team, it's like, I don't get what their reasoning was behind putting the two of them together. Was it to give them something to do? I mean, I don't know. It just, or was it just another team for, you know, to, to put on Eminem's uh, uh, resume? What's interesting about this match too, this is the team's first tag team title defense. 
And uh, they made their television debut on SmackDown, Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. And that loss to Guerrero and Mysterio was kind of like the catalyst to get their storyline going. And we'll discuss that match, of course, later in the evening. What do you, I mean, when you look at a hardcore Holly, I mean, what are your thoughts on him? I mean, you know, a guy who, um, like you said, Sparky Plug, a guy who, you know, I, I, I would think one of the most vivid memories of hardcore Holly is him beating the holy hell out of that kid on Tough Enough. Um, you're right. A guy who kind of stuck around for a while, was known for just kind of being a badass, um, kind of a staple of the mid-card for a chunk of time, never really... Uh, climbing to that top rung, decent worker. You know, it, it, it's funny. Like, I just can't – I just think of kind of a nondescript badass when I think of um, Hardcore Holly. He – to me, he reminds me of the guy that, like, he's like the blue-collar, you know, hard-working, everyday man um, that doesn't take any shit from anybody. Um, not the flashiest. Uh, but, you know, he, he, he's capable of getting the job done. Um, I will say that, like, you know, his run as hardcore champion with the stuff he did with Al Snow and being a part of the hardcore division and the crash, you know, Holly, rest in peace. He, uh, you know, that was some pretty fun stuff from him. Uh, but I feel like, you know, he did that stuff on Tough Enough and he, he beat the crap out of that kid, Matt Capitelli. And we'll get into him later. Unfortunately, there's some very sad news about his cancer treatments, uh, uh, that, you know, have, have, things have gone, you know, a turn for the worse. It looks like Capitelli might not make it within the next, uh, you know, in the very near future, unfortunately. Cancer, uh, you know, he's been dealing with that. But aside from that unfortunate news, Holly, uh, he, that, that beating he gave that kid, you know, Capitelli at the, in Tough Enough, if that, if that Tough Enough was around now in the age of social media, I think Holly could have, use that to springboard into bigger things in WWE. And unfortunately, you know, he didn't really, after doing that, I mean, he was such a heel when he beat the crap out of that kid that like you wanted to see people beat him up and they just never really capitalized on it back then. But with today's social media and the amount of people that, you know, could give him a hard time on Twitter, that, that had been something that WWE would have easily, easily nowadays capitalized on. It's interesting that you say that because when I think about that, look at Charlie. What a nice drop kick right there. Charlie Haas with the hot tag coming in. Oh, he's feeling it. Um, there we when, go. When I look at Hardcore Holly in that incident, I think of it could go either way in today's society with uh, social media because of the hypersensitivity of where we're at as a society. You know, does, does Hardcore Holly deliver this beatdown? And the whole bullying aspect of things that that's uh, controversial in today's society. Um, do we have do parents groups want? I mean, this essentially was a kid that he just beat the holy hell out of. Um, it's intriguing because I could see your side of it, but I could also see potentially if that happened today that the WWE just coming out and saying we do not condone our superstars engaging in this sort of behavior and and just getting you know good luck on your future endeavors. Um, so for me, when I look at like that incident with hardcore Holly, I feel like it really could have gone either way if it happened today. Yeah, I, I, I would have to say so. I mean, uh, you know, it's, 
the, the, the bullying point and today's society and the hypersensitivity, you make great points there. And, uh, you know, it just shows the differences between what we're watching right now and the current landscape in WWE and, and, and where it's at. Um, on a side note, speaking of, you know, I mentioned earlier Haas being very ground-based, and then, of course, he performs that, that beautiful plancha. All right, snapshot here by Eminem uh, coming in for the two, three, and Eminem retains the WWE Tag Team Championships over Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin at eight minutes and six seconds. There you go. And you know what? In the interest of time, we're just going to skip right to Carlito versus Big Show. And on the network, there's little, like, circles where you can just click on it. So I'm going to click on that. And there we go at the 18-minute mark. And here comes Carlito making his way down to the ring, who, again, as producer Michelle continues to come up in this show, her first favorite wrestler, Carlito. Um, he was a guy, I kind of dug Carlito. I, I, I liked his whole vibe. I loved him as a heel. Um, you know, a guy who, you know, maybe could have gone farther. I don't know. Um, but I thought he, he served his purpose at the time. Uh, I was definitely a fan of his. Uh, I love the, uh, the the Apple gimmick. Um, but again, it, it just it's amazing when you think about the WWE and, and how how much different it is. Um, you know, I mean, I guess 13 years is a long time, but it just seems so much different. You know, if you told me this pay-per-view, if I didn't watch wrestling at all, and you told me this happened like 20 years ago, I, I think I'd probably believe it. Um, it it's just a, very intriguing how the, the – product has changed, but um, I, I was a fan of Khalid. I thought he, he had a good little gimmick. What did you think of him? I, I, I kind of dug him, the Apple. I mean, it was you know, very simple. The, the vignettes that they uh, introduced him with, you know, you know being in the, in the Caribbean, and uh, you know, it was very Razor Ramon-like. If you go Google some of the Carlito vignettes, you'll see, like, you know, he spits the apple in the guy's face. It's very similar to, you know, when Scott Hall did the Razor Ramon character, and he threw the toothpick in the person's eye. Uh, yeah, I, I dug him, but I didn't see him any anything more than maybe like a really great intercontinental champion, athletically gifted, second generation star. But I just didn't buy him as being like a guy that could, you know, wrestle for the WWE championship. And I don't know, it, maybe it's just me personally, and this might sound weird, but I didn't, I didn't dig the afro, and I thought the afro <laughs> kind of took away like seriousness of his character. Like, it may sound stupid. Maybe I'm just very old school, but, like, I thought, like, if he cleaned it up a little bit, then maybe I would have been able to buy him as WWE championship material. But for me personally, like, great athlete, but I didn't see him going past the Intercontinental title. And I get you. And I'm going to fast forward through since we got this on mute to the 22 minutes, 20 seconds mark as the match begins. Big show in the ring. Carlito in the ring. Definitely a Big-time size matchup, but Matt Morgan looming outside. That picture just looks enormous here. And he's caught him. And Carlito's in trouble. Oh! You know, it's a shame when I look at Big Show. And, again, another guy, we, you know, we touched on Cena. Big chop from Big Show. Um, big man, definite Hall of Famer. Um, you know, we talked a lot on the show about uh, – Roman Reigns and how the writers have done him no favors. Um, and, and Big Show has said that, you know, when he entered the WWE, that he came in with an ego and an attitude. Um, 
you know, he's a guy who, to his credit, another big job. I would never want to be on the business end of those jobs. Um, but a guy who is able to get other guys over. I think he's an underrated worker, especially for a guy his size. Um, but I, to me, his greatness is not really recognized because of the amount of times he shifted from face to heel. Um, uh, he's shushing everybody because another overhead shop. Oh. And we got it on mute so he can't hear it, but you can tell, like, there's there's selling in the wrestling business, and then there's taking an overhand shot from the big show where, you know, you don't have to worry about acting. But I, I think when I look at big show, uh, Dave, you know, I definitely look at a guy who is, is very underrated. And when fan, especially the IWC and fans of today, um, when they look at a guy like big show, that he really goes underappreciated for the length of career he's had and what he's been able to do in the business. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. Although I think some of the internet wrestling and you're going to, you're going to probably shit your pants when you see the big show gets thrown to the outside. Morgan pulled the rope. Of course, the referee didn't see it. And Morgan acts like nothing ever happened. Gee, I've never watched a professional wrestling match before. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but um, Morgan putting the boots to him, but uh, yeah, I think some of their, 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 I wouldn't say hatred for Big Show, but their um, dislike for him is, is warranted because I felt like, and Big Show has said this in interviews I've heard before too, like he's a giant. He should have been treated like an attraction instead of being like a regular on the show every week. And I get that they, you know, needed star power and, um, you know, developing his character and, and things like that. But you're right that like the baby face heel turning back and forth, like, didn't do you know him favors in a lot of situations, but I feel like he'd probably be appreciated more if he was treated like an attraction, like Andre the Giant was. You don't see him on TV every week. Hell, you may not see him on TV for a couple of months, and then he comes into a big match situation, and maybe has a short you know couple month run, and and you know maybe it's like a, a, a you know bring him in for a battle royal or whatever as a mystery partner for a tag team or something. You know what I mean? Like I just felt oh ref bump. Ooh, that was pretty stiff, too. Carlito gave yeah, a nice fight shot. Yeah, it's fighting to right death there. now. Oh, here we go. Morgan. Oh, Morgan low blow. You know, it's interesting because when, when I look at Big Show, and it's, it's, it's very intriguing how the, the business has evolved over time. And, you know, and you spoke on Andre, obviously, but Big Show may have been a guy that would have been more suited uh, for the era of Andre the Giant uh, being an attraction in the 70s and 80s. Oh, and Matt Morgan getting Big Show up. F5. And down. Is that an F5? Yes, that was. And I was going to tell you an interesting story. I did some research after watching that the other night. Um, I did some research before we get one, two, three. Ref all of a sudden just wakes up, and we got a three count in Carlito for the victory at four minutes, 41 seconds. I did some research. That F5 was done as a dig, or at least Urban Legend says that Matt Morgan performed that F5 on Big Show per the orders of WWE management to send a message to Brock Lesnar, not only for leaving a year prior, but I guess Brock was in contract negotiations sometime in early 2005 about possibly coming back and working some dates for WWE as like an attraction, and they couldn't come to an agreement on stuff, and... You know, obviously we didn't see Brock till you know 2012 in WWE, but yeah, I heard Urban Legend says that that was done as like to send a message to Brock. But um, 
Matt Morgan, a guy who had a ton of potential, and uh, they ruined it in WWE with that stupid uh, stuttering gimmick. It's a shame. I never realized in the WWE. As we skip on, we're going to skip now right to the Chavo Guerrero versus Paul London for the Cruiserweight title match. Skipping ahead a little bit. We're at the 33 minutes, 44 seconds, March, Mark, March, Mark. Um, good stuff so far. And again, you know, I mean, nothing, you know, Dave, when I look at these first two matches, nothing um, earth shattering, but I'm watching, um, at least comparing to today, uh, more interesting characters, uh, better development, um, the pacing of the matches, I'm enjoying more. And to be honest, when you look at, and I think you said this once on the show, what's intriguing is, you know, now we'll, we'll watch with the cruiserweights, but when you have 205 Live on the WWE Network nowadays, everybody has got like these crazy spots in their arsenal. Everybody's got flippity-doos everywhere. Um, you had a lot of athleticism in that first match, but not a lot of crazy spots. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what these two guys do, Paul London and Chavo Guerrero, in this match. But I- I'm liking so far really how this match is booked, and I think there's a good place as we move into this matchup. With this is a 10-minute-plus matchup for the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, you know, not a lot of sp- spots have been blown so far. I'm looking forward to seeing what these two guys can do. FYI, everyone listening to the show, um, in doing this show, Dave messaged me and said, you know, I'm going to watch some stuff, do some research, get some background, blah, blah, blah. So me, whether you want to say creative motivation or just being lazy, um, I decided, well, Dave's going to have a lot of the, the background information and know what's going on and watch some stuff. I'm going to watch all this with fresh eyes. So we get both perspectives right now. So this is the first time I'm watching these matches since 2005. Um, Dave did a little more research. But I'm, I'm going to this match, Dave, right now. I have no idea what any of these guys are going to do. But I like the way the pay-per-view has been booked so far. And I think it loans itself to having a really athletic, kick-ass cruiserweight match. Yeah, I mean, the, the, first of all, let, let, let's talk about Chavo Guerrero for a minute here, okay? Um, a very underrated talent. To be quite honest with you, I got a question for you. This might be something you, you might. You might, have to, you might have to sit on this one and maybe come back to me, but if Chavo Guerrero wasn't related to his Uncle Eddie and it was just Chavo in the wrestling world, could he have been more successful than, than what he attained in, in, in his career in professional wrestling? Would he have been more successful? Yeah. If there was no Eddie Guerrero and it was Chavo, could Chavo have been more successful than, yes. than what he had attained in the business? Yes. I mean, assuming that everything is equal and we're talking, you know, I mean, I don't know what went on behind the scenes as a family. I don't know how much Eddie influenced him, how many ideas Eddie may have given Chavo. Um, But giving Chavo credit for everything that he came up with and everything he did, um, I do. I think he would have been more successful because he's not quite Eddie, but who was? But I think, unfortunately, where other guys, even cruiserweights, and and obviously Eddie moved into the the main event picture, um, I think other guys could get away with trying other things and um, were not nearly as good as Chavo, but they weren't always being compared to Eddie. 
Chavo was like the less talented Guerrero, um, which he was, but there's no shame in being less talented than Eddie. Eddie was amazing. Um, so I'm curious what you think, but I think, yes, I, I liked a lot of what Chavo Guerrero did. I think he came up with a lot of creative stuff. Uh, I thought he was really good in the ring, solid on the microphone. I mean, he was a guy, what else? I mean, how how much how much would you kill for right now on 205 Live a Chavo Guerrero in his prime? Um, well, that, yeah, I, I think he, yeah, I mean, he was very good. Just uh, he lived in the shadow of Eddie. Yeah, I mean that's my point. You know, you brought up like cruiserweight wrestling at the top of your you know your, your open here, and I mean having a guy like Chavo Guerrero on 205 Live could definitely tell more realistic stories in the ring. But at the same time, I think. What 205 Live is doing right now is helping. Basically, they're 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 competing for like they're they're competing for a niche audience that people that style of wrestling, and I think that's what WWE is trying to do as a whole with the different brands, with NXT, with the UK brand that they're still developing, and with 205 Live is that they're trying to appeal to all types of audiences. If you're going to claim that you're the best wrestling organization and best entertainment company in the industry, then they got to appeal to, oh, ooh, ooh, 450. Chavo put the knees up on London right in the breadbasket, as Gorilla Monsoon would say, the late, great Gorilla Monsoon. Um, but, yeah, back to my point that um, Chavo, a, a talent like him who, you know, sec- second, third-generation star, um, would definitely be a helpful hand on 205 Live, but I mean, you could obviously tell with a guy like him in the ring watching the match with London now, it's not what you're seeing on 205 Live. Obviously, it's a different era, different times, but um, I do agree with you that I think he would have been more successful had there been no Eddie Guerrero. He kind of reminds me a lot of, of uh, Owen Hart. I felt like as a kid, Brett was the better wrestler than Owen, but looking back and watching a lot of older stuff, and maybe this is just because I'm not a big Bret Hart fan personally anymore because of the way he conducts himself, and he's a bitter old. But uh, <laughs> Owen's the much—he's the much all you know, much more well-rounded performer than Bret. Owen can technical wrestle, he can brawl, he can fly. He definitely had a better personality than Bret. And I'm not saying Chavo has as much of that in comparison to Eddie. Eddie was Eddie's on another level than Chavo in my opinion. But Chavo reminds me a lot of of Owen Hart and his abilities cuz there's some stuff that Chavo did in WCW with the with his uh family tension with Eddie and the Pepe the horse and that creative funny stuff that really kind of, you know, started to get people to notice Chavo as a personality, not just being a Guerrero, but just, you know, having some form of personality here. Um and I will say this has been a pretty solid match so far between these two. Um, London is definitely, you know, being portrayed as the, uh, you know, underdog sympathetic champion while Chavo, the, uh, crafty veteran controlling this match. Um, and when I watched it the other night, crowd was pretty into it. I will say crowd definitely dug this match. Yeah. It's definitely tough to, to gain a sense with the, the, the sound off. Um, just an FYI, a public service announcement. I just received a text that, um, my mom, who lives in the area, as well as my sister, who lives pretty close by, both lost power tonight. Uh, we're on. Hopefully, we'll stay on for the duration of the show. 
But if all of a sudden the broadcast stops, yep, that's what happened. We lost power. So hopefully that does not happen. But as I'm watching this match, Dave, and this is where, you know, am I just an old curmudgeon? I mean, is it is at the point where, like, I just I, – I need to get with the times and wrestling's changed and, you know, all that other stuff. I mean, you know, I'm watching this, and this is a cruiserweight match, and, and you're right. It, it's not what we see on 205 Live. But we're seeing a story being told. We're seeing two characters. We're seeing a build. We're, we're not seeing spots for just the sake of spots. And um, while I appreciate the athleticism that I could see on 205 Live, um, you know, I do, I watch wrestling for, for stories. The stories told both inside the ring and, and outside the ring. And nice. And, and these two guys are, are, putting on a clinic and, and putting on a very athletic match um, and also telling a story. And, and, and am I, am I wrong at this? I mean, is it something that, you know, like you said, is it just appealing to all the different crowds? I mean, you know, when I, when I look at wrestling matches, I look at matches that tell a story and this is a match that's giving me a lot of athleticism and also telling me a story. Do I have to change with the times, or is it wrestling should get back to telling stories, Dave? I mean, wrestling should get back to telling stories, but, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, um, as as uh, trying it on. I mean, you know, kind of warming up to the idea of, you know, seeing what is appealing to the masses, I guess you could say. But, I mean, at the same time, like – there's there's different types of wrestling out there that I'm not even into. You know, I was not the biggest ECW fan. And ECW, yes, had a good mixture of very, you know, hardcore violent style, but they also had, you know, the uh the the, the luchador style and they had technical wrestling and they had very edgy storytelling and uh it some of it was intriguing and appealing, but you know, when I watch the WWE network, I don't put ECW on. It's, you know, I probably watched an ECW show maybe like three or four times since I've had the network in the last four years that I've watched an ECW show. Um, so, I mean, the, the 205 Live and the Cruiserweight style of today may not be appealing to you, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know? But at the same time, maybe to understand what a, a good portion of that audience is watching, maybe, you know, as an old curmudgeon, you should give it a shot. I don't know. I mean, it's up to you. It's whatever you want to do. I can give a shit, you know what I mean? But still, you know, it's... It is what it is. On the, but... Up on the top rope, and he's gonna fly. Oh, oh, oh. barely grazed Guerrero. There's <laughs> the replay. Oh, Jesus. Do you, now, all right. Speaking of that, I'm glad you kind of brought that up. Do you remember the Royal Rumble that year in 2005 when the way London got eliminated and Snitsky like clotheslined him and he like you, you, Do you remember that elimination? I don't. Okay, you go back and Google it, or you know. Maybe put it up on the show. Snitsky clotheslines London. London's on the apron, and and London takes this bump. It's like a you know a, a moonsault type bump after he connects with the clothesline. And I swear to God, I've watched it a hundred times, and even to this day, I still think that his head, before he landed fully on his stomach, grazed the mat on the floor, and like he broke his neck. <laughs> I mean, you will have to go back and find it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that just reminded me of that when he took that bump and he just kind of grazed Guerrero as he took the took the bump there. But uh, travel up to the top. Oh, London, London taking the legs out, fighting up top. 
Woo! Every time we chop, we should probably <laughs> woo. Or we see a chop. So since we can't hear it, we should probably woo, because I'm sure they did in Minneapolis that night. So can, I, can I tell you something? As, as you're telling the story, um, <laughs> I typed in on YouTube, Snitsky EL, and Eliminates Paul London came up. And the first video, it's nine seconds long, says Paul London dies. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the title of the video. As we're watching, Chavo got London up. Oh, can't quite get him up. And a big back body drop. London's going up. Up at the top. Boom. One, two, and three. Hell of a match. That was a really good match. Definitely a good match. Something you don't see in today's cruiserweight wrestling. I I just watched the elimination. That was brutal. Yeah. That clothesline, yeah. For real. Like, you thought he died. Like, he sold it so well. Unless he really wasn't selling it and he really got hurt, but. Exactly. (laughs) And Paul London, your cruiserweight champion. Good stuff. And we're going to skip again. We're going to go right to Kurt Angle versus Booker T. We're at the 50-minute mark. We might have to fast forward a little more. <sighs> going here. We got the entrances going. Kurt. There you are. We're going to fast forward a little bit through these entrances. Let's see. Where are we now? All right. We're at the 52-27 mark. As Booker T has Kurt Angle. He's strangling him on the top rope. Some good old now this storyline, this storyline for me, for those of you listening, and you know, Ken, you probably remember too. Um, in the video package that we had skipped earlier, it, 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 it had showed that Booker T and Kurt Angle were involved in a, a number one contenders match for an opportunity at the WWE title. And, uh, Booker T had eliminated Kurt Angle from the match, or Kurt Angle eliminated Booker T, and Booker T cost Kurt Angle the match. And uh, Angle went so, you know, crazy, as the kids would say, and he went he went the stalking route with stalking Charmel. Um, I don't know if you remember some of the terminology that Kurt Angle used, but he called her a gutter slut. And uh, this this is, yeah. A, a gutter slut, which I'd never heard of that before. I was like, back in 2005, I was like, usually we just call girls sluts, uh, but gutter slut was a little extreme. And then uh, the um, the video in the in the, vid- in the same video package, Kurt Angle admitted that he wanted to have bestiality sex with Charmel, which uh, by that point, like I was like totally turned off by the whole storyline, and I was really looking forward to the match, you know, bell to bell, because I thought the two could have a really good match together, but. This storyline for me just made Kurt Angle look silly. Which is probably where Jason Jordan came from. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When's he coming back? Hopefully not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Does anyone miss him? No. But, oh, and here's something else, too, that, you, that, that, you, that we had fast-forward through. For those of you that are watching currently right now, if you want to go back at a later date um, – before this match started, Booker T was searching the locker room and he was looking for Kurt Angle. And uh, 
he had bumped into Billy Kidman in the, in the bathroom. And Billy Kidman was in, like, his full ring gear, wrist taped and everything. But he's not scheduled for an advertised match. So where's the realism in that, you know, you show up to work and you, you put your work clothes on, but you don't actually do any work? Like, I didn't, I didn't understand that. Like, I was never, like, a big, like, why are the guys in their gimmicks and their ring gear if they're not wrestling on the card? I never understood that. You know, it's funny because, like, if you ask a wrestling veteran, they'll tell you because you're always ready. You never yeah, know. Last too. minute they could call you and say, we need you out there for a match. I've so if you come to the I show, guess, you always yeah. put your gear on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> later on in the show, later on in the show, we're going to fast forward through uh, Orlando Jordan and Heidenreich. But, uh, yes, we're definitely Heidenreich making up time some, there. Orlando Jordan and Heidenreich were uh, – you know, Heidenreich at the time was uh, doing this uh, angle where he picked people out of the crowd that wanted to be his friend. And so he picked some little girl out of the crowd, and she's like his honorary manager. But meanwhile, Billy Kidman's in the bathroom waiting to get a payday, and he didn't even get to jerk the fucking curtain. But this little girl, <laughs> who's probably related to some stagehand, is all of a sudden getting a spot on TV. What's up with that? What's up with that? You know, I'm curious your thoughts on Booker T and his career. You know, He's a guy for me that... You know, I, I take pride in, in being able to predict certain guys, and I like looking at guys and saying, oh, there's star quality here. And Booker T, when he branched out on his own, um, I didn't see it. I saw him really as just a tag team guy. Um, surprised me a bit in WCW, but I kind of thought WCW was on its way out, on its decline as he was evolving as a single star. Didn't really expect a lot out of him. Uh, really surprised me uh, at the level of his talent, the level of like characters he was able to come up with. Um, King Boca, I, I thought was incredible. Um, you know, to me, he really evolved into quite a star um, that had quite an illustrious career when it was all said and done. But something I didn't see it. Uh, when he was with Harlem Heat. Did you did you see star quality with him all along? Did you see him being this successful in the WWE? What were your thoughts on Booker T? Um, at that time in WCW, um, I'll be honest with you, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to him until he started uh, having a series of matches with uh, uh, Chris Benoit for the television title, the matches he had with Finley. Um, and he had a great match at, at uh, Super Brawl 8 in 1998 uh, against uh, Rick Martel for the world television title. And that's where I saw, like, you know, he could be more than just a tag team guy. Um, I didn't see him being world championship material. And then, um, obviously, he was thrust into the main event picture against Jeff Jarrett uh, for the WCW title at Bash at the Beach. But I think that was – I mean, not saying that he didn't deserve it because – you know, Booker T had worked hard and was a popular guy um, amongst, you know, the fans and, and his peers in the, in the locker room from what I've heard. But uh, I just felt like it was one of those, uh, you know, at least in WCW, too little, too late, you know, you know, scenarios where, like, they could have done that with him two or three years prior, but they put him in that situation to compete for the title at uh, Bash at the Beach 2000 against Jeff Jarrett because they were caught in a pinch creatively with um, issues with Vince Russo and Hulk Hogan, which, by the way, not to plug this podcast, but, you can, you need to check it out yourself. 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff, some really good stuff. They actually cover that controversy from the Bash at the Beach 2000 
Uh, they've covered the finger poke of doom. Uh, they covered Bret Hart's run in WCW. Bischoff, no bullshit, no holds barred, doesn't, you know, doesn't hold back. That's something I think is, as, a, as a podcaster you ought to check out. But, yeah, Booker T um, didn't see it in WCW, but when he came to WWE, I thought he should have been on top a lot sooner. But he definitely made a good career for himself. And probably out of all the guys that came over from WCW after the buyout, he was clearly head and shoulders above the rest the most talented out of them all. Yeah, it was interesting when you thought about WCW closing and, you know, if you had to make a prediction of who would be the guy that would break out as far as a WCW quote-unquote product uh, really making it in the WWE, I don't know if I would have put my money down on Booker T, but you're right. He probably was the most successful guy coming out of the buyout. And here he is holding his own with – Kurt Angle, a chop, big right hand, another chop, sends Angle off the ropes. Here comes Angle off the ropes, and oh, and he straddles himself on the... Uh, he's in trouble now. Uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting when you look at these guys, because you look at, you know, Booker T is a guy who maybe you didn't, as Kurt Angle goes for the pin, and only gets a two count. Uh, a guy in, in Booker T that, you know, you may have bet against as far as being the guy who's going to be a star in the, the WWE. Um, by contrast, I mean, who knew the Olympian Kurt Angle would be able to come in and gravitate to sports entertainment as, as well as he was able to gravitate, gravitate to it. Uh, a guy who, you know, if you want if you look, I know Shawn Michaels is the, the stock answer. Um, and I'm not going to get into the Shawn Michaels conversation, but if you were a guy that said to me, Kurt Angle is the greatest in-ring performer ever, I'm not going to argue with, with that. I mean, he was that good. And he was a guy who was able to keep his character interesting. He was a guy who, who really picked up the mic skills quickly, uh, could give you solid work as a face or as a heel, um, could work with just about anybody. Um, and so it, I, I'm finding it intriguing watching these two guys wrestle, a guy who I'd have my money against. I'd probably bet against both of them, to be honest with you. Coming out of WCW, I would have bet against Booker T. And coming out of the Olympics, I probably would have bet against Kurt Angle, and I would have lost money on both counts. But uh, Kurt Angle, it, it's amazing what that guy was able to do as, as a amateur wrestler and then coming into the world of professional wrestling. Well, what's interesting about Kurt Angle that I take away from it is that being that he's a, you know, former Olympic gold medalist and he was, you know, a world-class Olympic athlete, um, going into professional wrestling from an athletic standpoint, I didn't feel like he would, that he, that he wouldn't take to it. You know what I mean? I didn't think he was going to take to it as quickly as he did, but what surprised me even more was, his ability to roll with the punches and you either have it or you don't. And if you don't have it and you, and you work your craft in this business, and there's been plenty of success stories of guys who didn't necessarily have great characters starting out and then became phenomenal um, over time. Kurt Angle's one of those stories. I mean, you know, from an athletic standpoint, you saw him get in the ring and he's, you know, suplexing guys and flip flopping, flying around and, and, and working and, 
the first match I think he wrestled Sean Stasiak at the 1999 Survivor Series in November of 99. And uh, watching him wrestle, I remember I was like, well, you know, he looks like he knows what he's doing from a, from an in-ring perspective. It wasn't until, you know, as he, over time, is the, the, the things he was able to do to develop his character. And to kind of work that fine line of having the people take his character seriously, but at the same time, having his, having the finding a way to make an ass out of himself and make fun of himself without the people not taking him seriously. You know what I mean? He kind of drew that fine line. On one hand, he could be like a real badass and, you know, suplex guys all, all day long. And then on the other hand, he could make a, you know, real fool out of himself by getting his head shaved and wearing the, 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 uh, the, the earmuffs with the wig and, you know, all the crazy stuff he did, the, the stuff he did with Steve Austin with the cowboy hats and the, and stuff like that and the singing. I mean, you know, Angle definitely was a success story all around. But for me, what I take from it is how he was able to adapt as a character. Athletically, that, I think, came very easy for him. But as a character, I was really surprised at how well he, he, he adjusted to it. Yeah, I mean, his comedy work was insane. And when you – Thinking about guys, you know, what made him, what really made Kurt Angle great. There's Booker T with the pin. Oh, it only gets a two count. Um, what really made him great was, you know, you have guys over the years that have been comic relief in wrestling. You know, like Santino jumps to mind. And not that Santino wasn't a great athlete. But what I think Kurt Angle, where his brilliance was, is, you know, he could make you laugh at him. I mean, literally, like, poke fun at himself and just really, you know, create situations and create characters where he thoroughly embarrasses himself. But you had to always take him seriously the way he worked in the ring. So no matter how comical he was outside that ring, he always had to be recognized as a badass. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, skating that fine line that he was able to, you know, you would be cracking up, but if you, you know, you'd be watching Monday Night Raw, he'd cut a promo in the beginning of Raw, and you'd be cracking up laughing, and then they, they'd set, like, a match for the night that he was in, and you still knew that odds are Kurt Angle's going to win that match, perhaps decisively because of his athleticism. I, I, there are many guys that have been able to do comic relief and still remain that character to be taken seriously in the ring, and Kurt Angle was was brilliant at it. And and you're looking at two guys in the ring right here, two guys that are on their way to being inducted into the Hall of Fame, putting on a Hall of Fame caliber match. Again, when you look at pay-per-views, Dave, and you know, you think best pay-per-views, and I'm not I'm not getting into hyperbole here and saying best ever, but these guys are tearing it up right now. Um you want to say a ridiculous storyline coming in, perhaps, but these guys are giving you intensity. They're telling the story in the ring. Pinning combination, Booker T. Did you get him? Yeah, very anti-climatic victory for Booker T. Yeah, really won. One, two, three. <laughs> I was how yeah. great the match was. Like, wait, what? I mean, huh? What happened? Oh, here comes Charmel with her Baywatch run. Um, it's just interesting, Dave. Like, so far, I'm really enjoying this pay-per-view. Um, again, not one that's going to jump out and say, oh, what's the best pay-per-view ever, Judgment Day 05. Um, the way it's booked, a little beat down after the match is over from Kurt Angle on Booker T. Um, 
No, lots of good stuff, lots of good storytelling so far. And we still have a, a, a singles match with Mysterio and Guerrero and an I Quit match with Cena and Bradshaw. This is a really good pay-per-view, Dave. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, back then when, you know, WWE did the single-branded pay-per-views, Raw and SmackDown, um, you know, you would, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find an overall good outing, you know, across the board from both brands. But, uh, you know, SmackDown here so far has had a pretty good uh, outing bell-to-bell and, 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 and storytelling-wise for this, for this pay-per-view. Um, which goes to show, I mean, we talked about it, you know, a few months ago, how WWE currently is taking their pay-per-view format and they're combining both brands for pay-per-views. Um, so you get the best of both Raw and SmackDown. And uh, I feel like, you know, I mean, I'm no expert. I'm not in market research. Um, I'm not in the creative department. Obviously, if I was, I wouldn't be doing the show. But I feel like today's landscape if they had taken more time to develop some of the undercard guys on each brand, you'd be able to get some, some solid, you know, single branded pay-per-views from WWE, you know, particularly Raw and SmackDown. Um, like this pay-per-view, for instance, with Judgment Day here, you had, you know, the top, you know, three or four, sto- four stories were, you know, Carlito and Booker, Kurt Angle, or I'm sorry, Carlito and Big Show, Booker and Angle, Eddie and Ray, and then JBL and, and Cena. And then the undercard, you know, it's been pretty decent so far. Um, you know, we'll, we'll skip over Orlando Jordan and Heidenreich because it it was awful, but um, and 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 not worth not worth our time here, not worth your time, folks. Uh, those of you that are listening and watching on. So, uh, but yeah, here's a beatdown from Booker T to Kurt Angle, a handcuffed Kurt Angle, might I add. Um, reminds me a lot of the early days of the Big Boss Man. He used to handcuff guys to the ropes and beat them up, but. Uh, Nonetheless, my point, as I'm going on a tangent here, is that the WWE pay-per-views now, they didn't have to go that route of combining both brands. I think if they just put some more effort into developing some of the undercard matches, uh, then, then, then maybe they would get people to watch more of their single-branded pay-per-views and, 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 and develop some of the, 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 the lower-card guys on the roster and, and, and make people care about them. Um, that's one thing that Vince Russo did when he was writing for WWE, he made you care about everybody on the card. Everybody had a spot in the show. Everybody was on the card. And no matter how silly it was, whatever he did, you know, to write that person onto the show, they were on the show. And, and in some form or fashion, they mattered. And, uh, you know, he gets a lot of shit for, you know, his other creative, uh, you know, uh, endeavors. But getting guys onto the show was one of the things that he was pretty good at. Yeah, the narrative with Vince Russo, I mean, you know, he did do a lot of good in, in the business. Uh, maybe some mistakes, but he's been overly vilified. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you talk about stuff like this and you look at this, and again, some good storytelling here in ring, Charmel with the nut shot on Kurt Angle. And, um, you know, you, you look at this and, and it's interesting, you know, chicken or the egg kind of thing. Now, is it creative? Uh, not doing enough, or is it the fact that this pay-per-view has a John Cena, hey, look, say what you will about Bradshaw, but a guy who had a character, could tell a story, Mysterio, Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero, Paul London, Big Show, Eminem, you know, a, a footnote in tag team history, but a real good tag team nonetheless. 
when you look at the roster, it, do you look at this and say, you know, today's product is creative's fault? Or is it the fact that certain eras just happen to have more talent than it wasn't necessarily creative? It just happened to be the talent. It's some, or was creative better and was able to work with this talent and, and put more effective stuff together. It, it, it's interesting. You can debate all you want. Um, you know, is it the talent? Is it the creative? Is it a combination of both? Uh, it, it's just an interesting way to look at things as we're, we're going to, we are going to, as I'm talking about all the guys on the card, skip over Orlando Jordan and Heidenreich and go right to Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio. As we skip over, we're at the hour 33 mark. And here we go as Eddie Guerrero gets gets ready to make his way down to the ring. And Eddie's another guy for me, um, you know, a guy I became a big fan of. I didn't necessarily see him as a main eventer when he first uh, came up, and especially when he came into the WWE. Another guy I was absolutely wrong with. Um, he's a guy I look at definitely an all-time great. When you look at this card and you look at the guys on this card, um, you know, Eddie Guerrero, Hall of Famer, John Cena, future Hall of Famer, Booker T, Kurt Angle, both Hall of Famers. Uh, Bradshaw, I would think, very possibly gets into the Hall of Fame. Heidenreich, not so much. But when you look at this <laughs> roster, this, this card, you got a lot of Hall I mean, uh a big show, definitely future Hall of Famer. Um, there's a lot of Hall of Famers on this card. Eddie was a guy that, you know, again, was it creative? Was it the talent? Eddie could be a face or a heel. Eddie could go in the ring. Eddie could mix it up with guys bigger than him. He could mix it up with guys smaller than him. He could go athletic. He could wrestle big. Um, he's a guy who would bleed like a stuck pig. Um just definitely like a guy who could do just about anything in the ring. A guy like we were talking about with a, with a Kurt Angle, a guy that could provide you comic relief and still be a badass in that ring. Um, you know, a lot of versions of the Eddie Guerrero character. Um, you know, this, this roster, this card, when you look at it, you know, the Hall of Famers and future Hall of Famers, um, pretty impressive. And these two guys, great chemistry between these two guys. Again, I have not watched this yet. I'm really looking forward to seeing what these two guys do. Internally, I've debated uh, regarding Eddie Guerrero. Was he a better baby face or was he a better heel? And I go back and I, I, I try to think back, you know, offhand. How many guys in this business can you say were as successful as doing, you know, doing both, being a very good, good guy and a very good bad guy? There's not many guys in this business you could say that do that. Hulk Hogan? Randy Savage, maybe Ric Flair to a degree. Eddie Guerrero, I'd put on that list right up there with all those. Great of a lovable, you know, uh, fun-loving Latino baby face that he was. He was such a phenomenal bad guy. He could, be, he could make you want – he had like a love-hate, you know, with the, with the audience. The, the audience loved him, but when he was bad, they hated him. And – Eddie Guerrero was so good at doing both all around, you know, top-notch performer. Um, to me, I just it, internally I was debating like, how good of a good guy was he? Does it compared to how good of a bad guy he really was? Like he did both great equally. 
There's no doubt about it in my mind. And I feel like he's on that, that count on one hand list of guys that in the industry over the years that were able to do both and be successful as much at both of those roles, which is, which is unbelievable. It's, it's very hard to find, you know, guys like that. And what's interesting, you know, again, as we talk about, and it's amazing to me going back 13 years and how much things have changed. Um, you know, I'd be curious if Eddie could do that today because I still think we're in the, we're, we're in the era. I mean, maybe not as much, but I still think back then audiences would kind of, for the most part, boo your heels, cheer your faces, um, with some exceptions, but there was still face heel. Um, I don't think kayfabe was quite dead yet. Um, I'd be curious if Eddie could elicit the sort of heat today that he was able to do in his time because he was so good at it. I feel like the IWC would just find him so entertaining that he would get cheered anyway. Although, was Eddie just so talented that if he lived in this era, that he would have figured it out and he would have gotten heat by any means necessary. But this match is starting off and, uh, Definitely a hard-hitting matchup as a, looking at two guys as Ray Mysterio comes off the ropes, big shoulder block, off the ropes again. Two guys, you know, incredibly athletic, could give you um, phenomenal spots, and yet at this point to start off the match, just giving each other a beatdown whenever they can. Uh, a lot of punches thrown, a lot of animosity between the two characters. And, and that's where, you know, I kind of, when I look at yesteryear and I look at Today's product, you know, back in the day, Dave, you felt like these two guys viscerally hated each other, and that got you into it. And that's where the spots mattered, and that's where everything mattered in the match because the story is being told outside the ring. The the brilliance of these guys, they continue to tell the story in the ring. It made all the moves matter, and it made the characters matter. And again, I might be an old curmudgeon, but I watched something like this, and honestly, I'm not the biggest Rey Mysterio fan. But I'm just into the intensity here, and I, I, I just kind of miss that in today's product. This storyline is probably one of my favorite storylines. If you go back, um, and, and, you know, we, we fast-forwarded through the video package, but basically this storyline started with these two best friends uh, having a friendly rivalry with each other over competition of who was the better wrestler, and Eddie not being able to beat Rey Mysterio. And it got to the point where you know, Chavo had gotten his nose involved and kind of stirred it up. And then they had lost the titles to Eminem, which I alluded to earlier when we were discussing uh, at the top of the show, Eminem's arrival into WWE. And that was really the catalyst for things to just kind of, you know, explode between these two. And you saw the, the back and forth tension between the both of them in tag matches and both of them costing each other inadvertently opportunities at the WWE championship. And it was so, the story was told so very well. It had built for weeks and weeks and weeks on SmackDown um, after WrestleMania. And this was the first pay-per-view outing for SmackDown since WrestleMania, um, which took place a little over a month before that, but I'd say six weeks or so after doing my research and just the amount of time that they took to build this story. And then for when Eddie turned, it was just at a fever pitch. It was just, it was just so well done. And it's a credit to, I think the writing, but also the performers as well. I mean, you know, the, the, the intensity and, and 
that you're seeing in this match and the, the, the physicality and it's not just a hundred, you know, you know, hurricane Rana's and uh, arm drags and, and planches over the top rope. You know, you're seeing, you know, a, a well thought out story in this ring. And I think it's, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it comes from the, 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 the proper planning that took place in the weeks prior with this storyline with Eddie. Cause I mean, you know, if you remember, Ken, you go back and forth each week, you know, heading into this match and, Eddie and Ray were just testing each other's friendships and Eddie was testing whether he was good enough to be in the ring with, with, with Ray. And, you know, you had Chavo there kind of stirring it up and, and, and then, you know, Eddie just popped his cork and eventually that was the end of it. You know, like we saw the Eddie Guerrero's true colors come out and he turned on his best friend with the bloody mask. And it was just so well done. I mean, I love this storyline and this was probably the last great thing Guerrero did before he died later this year. In fact, it was the last great storyline, at least in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, your, your question about whether he'd be successful in today's era, I think he's talented. I think Guerrero is so talented, he could have figured it out and made the internet hate him. You know what I mean? Like, he would he would have been able to do it. I, I truly think he would. Yeah, it's such a shame, you know, you think about, you know, everything else that Eddie could have done had he lived. Um, you know, and quite also when you look at, you know, Eddie's passing, and then uh, not too long after that, the whole incident with Chris Benoit, and you can really look at that as, you know, where the business uh, really, WWE really had to, they had to, but look to change things, look to PG it up. Um, but, uh, you know, you look at something like this, and, and it, it's just intriguing when you think of, you know, I agree with you. I think this is a storyline that's really well told. It's... Um, to me, reminiscent of, you know, give it its own props, obviously, but reminiscent almost of the mega powers. Um, and, and I, you know, I miss storytelling like that when you just, you know, initially you see the seeds planted. And, you know, if you're not watching carefully, maybe you even miss the seeds being planted, you know, and, and the evolution of two guys who are friends, um, you know, eventually leading to, needing to beat the holy hell out of each other uh, within the squared circle. I think we kind of miss that, uh, you know, in, t- in today's product, you know, oh, and, and these guys are just so good. And, and this is the thing where, again, I'm not a Rey Mysterio fan, um, but this works for me because Eddie was so great at being the heel here that I could get behind rooting for Ray uh, just because, you know, Eddie's such a prick. Um, and I mean that affectionately. Um, you know, it's really great stuff out of these two. And uh, uh, now Eddie just stalking Ray as Ray is definitely in trouble, grabbing his lower, his injured lower back. Oh, and Ray trying to battle back, a couple elbows to the bread basket. Oh, and Ray's coming back oh, to the eyes, knee, and Eddie back in control. Um, this is good stuff, Dave. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious when, you know, you look at the WWE, um, and I know it's a PG product, and there's certain things that, um, you know, maybe you can't go to the level of intensity, but I, I, you wonder at some point, uh, you know, maybe Triple H takes over completely, that we could get to a place where um, it's PG, but we can kind of mix in some edginess, mix in some edgy storytelling. Um, I don't know, but I, I, I just, you know, I'm watching this cause this isn't the attitude era, 
but it, it, it's edgy enough for me to kind of get into this. Good storytelling. Um, great match so far. And, and I, I'm curious, I mean, do you think we'll ever see the I mean, the business is always evolving and never say never. Do, do you ever see us evolving in a different way? As you said, we have 205 Live. That's if you're a spot fan, um, you, you watch that show. Uh, you know, it almost seems like SmackDown has kind of become the IWC show. Uh, Raw is definitely sports entertainment. I mean, do we ever get a show that's just, hey, old school storyline? WWE presents all with, with newer guys, but kind of that sort of, uh, storytelling and maybe some more intensity in the matches. I mean, do you ever see it, you know, coming back around or is it just a hopeless dream? Uh, you're kind of getting a little bit of that now with NXT. If you watch some of the takeover matches and, you know, the takeover events, um, I know that, you know, if you were to watch it, I'm sure your first thought would, you know, with all the chance that it would be very, you know, IWC driven, but the intensity in the matches and the, th- and the, 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 the buildup with the storylines, um, you kind of get that with NXT. Um, I, I'm, I don't watch NXT religiously, but if there's something that, you know, I hear is good, I'll check it out, or at least, you know, that's really good because people who watch NXT think everything's good. But, um, yeah, you're kind of seeing that now with those matches. The, the, if you go back and you watch the last takeover they did from uh, New Orleans, the opening match was a, uh, a six-man ladder match for the vacant North American Championship. Uh, Adam Cole... EC3, Lars Sullivan, Ricochet, Velveteen Dream, and Killian Dane. And those guys, they killed each other with those ladders. It was very reminiscent of, like, the TLC car crashes you would see with, like, Edge and Christian and the Hardys and the Dudleys. So you're seeing some intensity there, and they're appealing with NXT to that audience that, that I guess, craves somewhat of the Attitude Era. But at the same time, you go back and you watch some of the Attitude Era stuff, and maybe we'll do that down the line. But there was a lot of garbage in the Attitude Era, too, in terms of storytelling and characters and things like that. That, that At that time, it was fun to watch because of the, the way society was. Howard Stern and Jerry Springer were, were, were big during that era. And, you know, shock TV and, and, and shock radio, I guess, was like the thing, you know, but... You know, we're in a different world now in a different society. The, the Godfather and his hoes would not get over in 2018, um, you know, with, uh, you know, television, you know, advertisers. But, uh, yeah, you're kind of seeing that now with some of the NXT. So you have to go back and watch it. But you, you see a little bit – you see that in the intensity and the, and the, the pacing of the storylines. Not everything is rushed like you see nowadays where you rush a match to get, you know, from pay-per-view to pay-per-view. You, you see some longevity in the storytelling with NXT. You know, like, I don't really want, like, I'll, you know, I watch matches here and there. I don't really watch the show. And I should probably start watching it and kind of try and delve into some of the storytelling and kind of see, give, 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 give my own thoughts on, on how they're doing over there. But, uh, you know, as, as Rey Mysterio desperately struggling to get to that bottom rope. Oh, yeah. Is there? Break the hole. God damn it. Break the hole, daddy. Son of a bitch. Uh, referee telling them, come on, the rope. You got to hit the rope and say, come on, the rope. There you go. Banging the rope, yep. <laughs> I think you're like a couple seconds behind me. Oh, maybe. Where are you at? What is he, what's, it, what's, what's, what's Guerrero doing? 
Ray just got thrown out of the ring. Landed oh on. yeah, I'm I'm right, I'm right I'm right there with you. Maybe just my reactions are a little delayed. Yeah, he, he slid and <laughs> took the bump. Yeah, I might be having an over thirty five moment right now. But, um, <laughs> happens happens but, uh, more and more, brother. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it becomes over thirty six and on January 9th, twenty nineteen. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, this is this, this is this match easily so far on the card is the best match of the uh, uh, of the night right now. Uh, bet- between these two, and uh, you know, quite honestly, like, and I watched it the other night, and wa- watching it back now, it's like, I, damn, I miss Eddie Guerrero. I really do. I didn't realize, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, and you know, I missed him when he, well, unfortunately, when he passed, but he, uh, he, he was something else, man. Imagine the matches he'd he'd have now with the current crop of guys like Seth Rollins or. You know, a Daniel Bryan. Oh man, I mean, just he's he was he was one of a kind, and someone that I didn't see as a main eventer. Another guy I did not see that could be a main eventer, and he surprised me, and I, I was glad that he did. Um, and now I could see why they threw him into the Hall of Fame so early. Not because obviously he passed, but because of how talented he was. Unbelievable. And here's a question for you. And they were saying Eddie could do it. Because you're so talented and understood storytelling and, and the business as well as he did. Would Eddie Guerrero, would he be the guy? Oh, nice 619. Could Eddie get Roman Reigns over? Oof, that's a tough one. <laughs> that's, all right. All right Heel Eddie, Eddie figuring it out in 2018. Could he get Roman over? Okay. Let me put it to you this way. Based off of what we've seen them do with Roman Reigns in the last few years, if it was early in the game and the people started to not get into Reigns and they inserted Eddie into that position and, and put him you know, to task on, on being the guy to help get Reigns over as a babyface, then I think it could work. But if they were to do it now, like let's say if they had gone through four or five different scenarios like they've had in the last few years on trying to get Reigns over. And then they decide, well, you know what, let's give Eddie a shot and see if he can do it. I don't, I don't think the people would buy it, but if it was early on in those early stages, like right before, maybe like right before that, that Royal rumble win that Roman Reigns had, if they did something with him and Eddie, I think Eddie could do it. But later on in the game, I think the people would call bullshit on it. So, so what you're saying is like Roman is really in like a hopeless position right now. No, you know, uh, no, I don't think he is. I, 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 I really don't. Um, but I, I honestly, they're trying the thing with gender. I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of it. It's, I don't think it's going to work. I honestly, I've said, we said it a couple weeks ago, turn them bad and see what happens. I think a lot of people want to see it. Um, and I, I, I honestly think, and this is based off of people I've spoken with, not to have any inside knowledge, but um, with Vince kind of stepping aside to do the XFL next, you know, year or so, and with the new Fox deal that SmackDown Live is going to be involved in with airing their show on Fox in 2019, the UK brand, Triple H taking over 205 Live. I could see with Vince gone and not being as involved in the creative, that 
they might lean towards making a, making a run at turning Roman Reigns into a bad guy while Triple H is, is technically in charge. I, I mean, they got to do something. They got to shake it up in some way. As again, Rey Mysterio in trouble here. Really good match so far. That's an ouchie. That's an ouchie on the this shoulder. Story, this- this storyline was top-notch until they involved Rey Mysterio's kid in it and said Eddie Guerrero was the biological father of that kid. Then that's when they totally shit the bed. Uh, I remember that. Eddie setting Rey Mysterio Dominic. up on the top rope. I'm your father, Eddie. Like, <laughs> just like... <laughs> what are they? Like, for real. Like, it, it, it was just... Like, the match was great. Oh, that's Superflex, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. A work of art right there. And just a two count. Another pin. Hooks the leg. Oh, and another two count. And he goes for a pin a third time. What? Like, I, I just felt like he counted to, like, seven on that. Like, what? I just kept seeing his hand go down. Like, wait, that wasn't a three count? Well, obviously, it was a two count. Eddie, obviously frustrated here, does not know what he has to do to put Rey Mysterio away. Oh, but Eddie's feeling it. Latino heat. He's shucking. He's jiving. That's awesome. He's such a prick. So good. Oh. The three amigos. You know, it's amazing watching him, too. I mean, people have paid tribute to him with the Three Amigos uh, since then, since he's passed. But how fluid he was in, in putting those three suplex together. Oh, but Eddie is set up. He's on the second rope. Can Rey Mysterio capitalize? Eddie says no. <laughs> Here comes Chavo. And there's, and there's Chavo. Oh. Going for some plunder, baby. Oh, thing here that, uh, oh, going for the 619 again? Nothing. Yeah, doesn't hear the chair go. You don't hear anything. I'm just going to stand here yelling at Chavo. And then go check on Chavo. Chavo. Yeah, who's not in the match, mind you. Why would you do that? Chavo's okay. Yeah, the guy who tried to interfere. Let's make sure he's all right. Not the two guys. Great storytelling up until that moment. Yeah. Boom. (laughs) Oh, and now he's here. Now he's here to call the DQ. Oh, Jesus. He's a spry ref. The hell of a chair shot. Ryan Hebner. Hell of a chair shot. And this this storyline, too, is living proof that you don't always have to win to get over. Okay. This is a storyline where Eddie was trying so hard to beat Ray and he could not do it and could not do it and could not do it. And finally he snapped and he got himself disqualified and he lost the match, but he didn't lose anything, any kind of credibility from the audience from this where, you know, nowadays on the internet, you hear so many guys say like, Oh, he's got to win the match and wins and losses count in certain scenarios in this story, because Eddie was such a good prick, him losing, made this story even better. 
and him not being able to beat Rey Mysterio made this story it, it, it it was just a better story. He didn't have to win any of these matches because the story was that he just could not get the best of Rey Mysterio. And I thought it was, I thought it was very well. Oh, here we go. Post-match beatdown. Hitting someone in the back of the head with a chair. Yep. Oh. Oh, jeez. And again. And jo- oh. And that's not right. Chair. And he busted the chair. Jesus. Look at that. The smile. Now, and that goes back to kind of what I was saying before. Now, is it, was it creative or was it the talent that they had? Or is it a combination of both? Was creative and the talent just better years ago? Because, you know, are we going to give creative the, the props for this? Like you're saying, you know, wins don't always matter. But is it creative that, that put together this scenario? Or is it the fact that Eddie, in, in his Hall of Fame type talent, was a guy who could make this work? And that's where it's, it's always tough to, you know, a lot of times in today's product, you come down on creative. But, you know, like I said, chicken or the egg. Is it the creative department? Is the talent in the ring? Is it a combination of both? Because Eddie, I don't know if you ever heard, like, the stories behind, like, uh, John Belushi, that John Belushi on Saturday Night Live could take, would take sketches that were tossed and because they were so bad and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make this funny. Um, you know, Eddie's a guy where I look at him, and not to compare Eddie with John Belushi, but a guy who could probably take a garbage storyline and still somehow make it interesting, tweak it, and make it work. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting to me when you look at matches of yesteryear, talent of yesteryear, you know, is this, does this work because of Eddie? I agree with you. I don't think you have to win all the time. Um, there's a story being told. Uh, you know, you make it work. You, you figure out a way. Uh, Eddie's a guy who made it work. Um, you know, is it the storytelling? Is it creative? Or is it the talent? I mean, all right, what do you think? Or is it just a combination of both? Or is it, I don't know what it is. But, you know, Eddie made it work, you know? I think the creative was better back then. I think in this instance, obviously, it was Eddie's talent that helped get this storyline, you know, moving and rolling. Same thing with Ray, the talent in this particular storyline. But I think in today's wrestling, the creative is not that is not definitely not as good as it was back in 2005. But I think as far as talent goes, they have the talent and the ability on their roster, the guys in the world, that creatively they don't. I don't feel like they accentuate enough of their positives and camouflage their weaknesses enough, in my opinion. I I really don't think, like, in today's world that, like, the creative does any justice for the talent. Now, I'm not saying WWE creative is a complete joke altogether. Let's, you know, let's not get it twisted here. But it's obviously two – I said it earlier. This is a different – you know, these are two different eras, but – the creative back then was better, and in this particular storyline, it was definitely the talent that helped make it work. But in today's world, the creative doesn't help, but they have talents that could make it work, but they just don't come up with some of the best scenarios for the most part for these talents. Now, I'm, I'm psyched for this match. I'm psyched to watch the I Quit Net match now between John Cena and JBL for the WWE Championship. Now, we have Vlad, who is actually on our Facebook page, and said, 
I don't think I've ever seen anyone bleed the way John Cena bled that night. So you know me, I have a bloodlust watching pro wrestling. I'm looking forward to this. But I, I digress, because when I think of guys bleeding, I look at the guy who was in the match previous to this, Eddie versus JBL, Judgment Day, I believe it was 04. Um, you've watched correct. this match recently. Where do, you t- where do you go as far as buckets of blood? Who bled worse, Eddie in, at Judgment Day in 04 or Cena coming up tonight? Eddie, for sure. And you know why Eddie bled worse? Because, and I don't know if it was the, the, it must've been the way that they had produced it with the cameras. But once he, once he hit that, once that chair hit him and he put that blade to his forehead, you know, obviously we didn't see too much of it, but you, it came out like you turned the faucet on for a sink. Like it was water coming out of the faucet. Like it was, it was, it was that quick, just, just like that. And that he bled and it was just nonstop. Um, you know, Cena, in this instance, there was a lot of blood, but, man, Eddie bled so goddamn much in that match that, like, for me personally, I mean, I enjoy the match and the story that headed into that match and even the finish of that match. I didn't mind the finish of that match at the at the previous year's Judgment Day, but – and I got a little worried after watching that, the way that, you know, the, the blood was pouring out. It was just nonstop. Usually when a guy bleeds – especially, you know, over the years watching and wrestling, and I'm no blood expert, but they bleed for a little while, and then eventually, you know, blood either dries out or whatever. Ric Flair has been known to do that. There was no stopping this. Eddie, like, he needed a goddamn blood transfusion after it was all said and done. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the premise behind, like, blading is, you know, the head will bleed, you know, and you give yourself a, a, a little bit of a cut, and – Odds are you're sweating, and the blood will mix with the sweat, make it look a lot of, a lot worse. And to your point, then it'll start to clot. It'll dry up on your face, so you still have that visual. A guy like Ric Flair or anyone else with blonde hair, you know, it mixes with the hair, which makes it look that much worse. So, you know, you didn't need to bleed like a sieve. I mean, you just kind of needed to give yourself a little bit of a nick. Let, let the blood kind of flow, mix with the sweat, and, and you get yourself a good visual. You're right. Like, Eddie was a guy who was really bleeding. I mean, really bleeding. Like, the guy, you know, who was just in a, a car accident bleeding. Like, you know, get the ambulance here in a hurry. This guy's not going to make it kind of bleeding. Um, I don't remember thinking that in this match that John Cena's health and well-being was in trouble uh, as JBL makes his way. Texas Longhorns, Limo. We haven't had a good, like, car entrance in a while. Probably since, uh, trying to think, uh, who's the last guy to have a good car entrance? It was, well, it wasn't very good, but it was an entrance. Del Rio. Oh, yeah, Del Rio. It wasn't very good. <laughs> I, what did you think of JBL? I mean, I, you know, a, a guy that, uh, um, obviously, like, opens up other people. I mean, we're talking about JBL, who bled worse, uh, Cena with JBL or Guerrero with JBL. Um, I really dug this character. I thought this is a good, obnoxious, heel-type character. Um, you know, the evolution of Bradshaw, when you, you think back of, of him, uh, you know, teaming with Farouk and, uh, you know, the Acolytes and then the APA, um, 
you know, and then evolving into this very, uh, you know, for your kids out there, get on the Google machine and research this, but a very J.R. Ewing kind of character. Um, I love this character. I, I thought, you know, not a guy that I would necessarily say is amazing in the ring, um, but I like the character, I, and I thought the obnoxious, rich guy coupled with the hard-hitting style that he brought to the ring, I thought really worked. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed this version of JBL a lot. I thought it was a really well-done heel character. Um, what were your thoughts on JBL? Well, I, I dug the character. Um, it took some time for, for, to, for, for me to try it on and, and, and fit in terms of like him being main event material. Because when he debuted this character, uh, he shot up right to the main event and worked with Eddie Guerrero for the title. And I thought, well, you know, rich oil tycoon, kind of with the Dallas vibe, you know, the J.R. Ewing, uh, like you mentioned, uh, he's definitely United States championship material. Because he went from being, you know, a beer-drinking brawler in the APA to now all of a sudden he gets a shot at the WWE title. Like, I was just kind of scratching my head, like, there's, plenty of different guys on that roster at the time that I thought deserved it in terms of, you know, their, their, their characters development. And, you know, from an in-ring standpoint, who would mesh well with Guerrero. So when it, when he wrestled Guerrero that year at judgment day, it, I, he grew on me more and more as, as, as time went on with this storyline, as he got involved with Eddie and, you know, was, was running down Eddie and his heritage, his Latino heritage and, and kind of being this, He's almost kind of doing what people think Donald Trump are do, is doing towards, you know, people of, you know, other nationalities and discriminating against. Not, and we're not going to get into politics here, but he, he kind of was doing that before Trump was even doing it back then. Or people <laughs> claim that Trump was doing it, I should say. So Our president is a wrestling me. character. Yeah. I don't, I mean, if, well, he was at one time, if you watch WrestleMania 23. <laughs> Um, his hair was on Please the line. Take note of like how how into John Cena this crowd is. Yes, coming yeah, in on a flatbed with a DJ playing his song, kicks the Texas Longhorns off of JBL's limo. Crowd on their feet. Thirteen years ago, borderline a hundred percent of this crowd firmly behind John Cena. IWC does not want to admit it, but yes. There was a time that the crowd was behind and loved and rooted for John Cena. You know, for for a pay-per-view judgment day, you know, this isn't WrestleMania. It's not one of the big four. Pretty cool entrance from John Cena. Yeah, it has that WrestleMania vibe to it for sure. I didn't get the whole, uh, you know, half a, half, half a truck. And, you know, the DJ on it. But, I mean, I guess you kind of had to, like, you know, go with that polar opposite to what JBL was with the limo, with the Texas Longhorns. But, uh, you know, to kind of, you know, circle back around for a second here, JBL grew on me, and I ended up loving it. And he he was at a time when you became smarter about the product with, in, with wrestling and reading things on the dirt sheets and, and, and becoming a little more wiser to what you were watching. He was a true bad guy at that time where as much as I thought the character deserved to be the champion, I thoroughly enjoyed seeing guys 
try to kick his ass and take the title from him and him being the chicken shit heel of a WWE champion. And the storyline with him and Cena, you know, going into WrestleMania that year. And then obviously this heading into this match, it, it fit, it, it fit. It was just very well done. Perfect. You know, two polar opposites, John Cena, the, 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 the common, uh, you know, uh, blue collar, you know, hardworking, hardworking man. And JBL, the entitled rich stock market tycoon. And, you know, that, that, you know, bought his way, into success and it just worked very well together. I really enjoyed the two of them together. And I was, I was disappointed in the WrestleMania match. I thought the WrestleMania match wasn't that good, but when they announced this match at that time, I was like, Oh, it's going to be good. Bradshaw can brawl. And, you know, Cena has been known to get, you know, pretty physical himself. So I, I, I was definitely looking forward to uh, what was in store for this kind of a match, especially, you know, being an I quit match. Nice match, some fundamentals, headlock takeover, a couple of lockups, shoulder block, um, starting off with some fundamentals here. And, and, you know, when you look at, like, the end of this pay-per-view now, when you get when we're talking about Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, John Cena, uh, JBL, you're, you're looking at, you know, two matches that, again, we look at kayfabe, we look at faces and heels, we look at how the business has changed today. You had two matches to finish up this uh, pay-per-view with a clear-cut face, a clear-cut heel, the crowd cheering the faces, booing the heels, and the story being told outside the ring and inside the ring. And, you know, again, a pay-per-view that you're not going to jump to and say, oh, Judgment Day 2005, greatest pay-per-view ever. But it's just a really solidly put-together show that has led you, um, outside of maybe Orlando Jordan and Heinrich, but has – this show has evolved and led you to two feuds that gave you clear-cut faces and heels and the storyline that storylines that the crowd and the audience could really sink their teeth into. And, and you look at these guys right now as uh, JVL coming back in the ring the hard way. You know, these guys in here, you know, slowly ramping it up. Uh, fundamentals, now Cena, it's an I quit match, no disqualification, blatant choke from John Cena. As these guys are keeping the pace in a good in a good spot and just working the crowd, big shot from JBL, a big right hand, and now JBL in control. But very, you know, very fundamentally sound right now. Oh, cardinal mistake! You never dropped the head, John. Um, but but I'm digging how the 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 storytelling has been simple. DDT, Cena's out. Oh, there's no pin, JBL. What are you doing, JBL? Um, that's academic. And getting back to what you that's were saying academic. about JBL, you know, I, I get what you're saying, like how quickly he was moved up to the main event and you weren't crazy about it. I think what I kind of liked about the character is the fact that you kind of touched upon it, a guy that kind of bought his way to the top. And, and I kind of liked his uh, quick ascension to the main event because I felt like he was buying his way there. And I think that's really, for me, what made this character work, um, you know, JBL obviously calling the match here as JBL sent it to the ropes, big back body drop. And I, I would like to say for a second, and then I want to get your impressions on this match so far, uh, Dave. I almost called you John, Dave. Uh, John Cena, man, I did just F you, man. Like, he does not look like he's aged 13 years now in, in professional wrestling. I'm like looking at him like, Jesus Christ, this is 13 years ago. The guy looks like he'd go at least 13 more. Just 
very impressive the shape this guy keeps himself in. I, if I'm wrong, I, I, I don't know, but he, I think he's even a little bigger right now. Um, but good stuff right now. I think they were seeing something very fundamentally sound and some really solid storytelling out of these two. You know what the key to his success was in, in, in not aging very well? The fact that he never really changed his ring gear. You know, he wore tennis shoes and jean shorts for the last 15 years, maybe with a different color shirt. But he looks like, if you look at him right now and you, and, and you look at him back then, it, you, you can't really tell, you know, tell the difference other than, you know, the different color wristbands and maybe a different color pair of shorts. But he, like, he's kept the same look, whereas, like, over the years, if certain guys kind of change their looks, you know, in their ring gear or their, their cosmetically with their appearance, then you could tell at those points that they've, whether they've aged well or not. Cena looks the same that he did, you know, back then that he does now. It, it, it's, it, it's amazing, uh, you know, how well he's been. You know, he's in his 40s now. It's amazing the, 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 the kind of shape he's been able to keep himself in. And, you know, same haircut too, really. I mean, Nothing's really changed about John Cena except that the same, you know, the, the color of his hats and his T-shirts when he comes out to the ring. That's about it. Yeah, it's crazy. As these guys, now it's starting to ramp up. The violence is starting oh. to get a little more intense as they're outside the ring. No count out here. This is not a quit match as JBL is setting up the announcer's table. Say it, John. Just say it. Say I quit. And oh, it looks like Popeye. Right hand, JBL goes down. Down goes JBL. That girl. Piston-like right hands by Cena to the back of the head of JBL as the violence and the intensity in this match is now ramped up. We're no longer going through fundamentals, folks. It's now nut-cutting time. Put the women and children to bed. We're going to see some real physicality between these two. And, this, you know, again, when you look at this match and, and the evolution, I, I love watching the pace and how the two of them are working. You know, they, they take their time. They make the spots matter. And I really like the fact that they started off with the fundamentals. You know, that it started off as a, and now whipping them like a government mule. Oh, this Where's is good JR stuff. when you need him? <laughs> this is good stuff. Um, now, I, now look, I'm really enjoying like both the last match and this match, the pacing and, and how they did. John Cena look, choking. He can't say I quit. You're choking him. Look, look at this for a minute, okay? This would <laughs> never be allowed in today's WWE. Choking around the neck. Daniel Bryan got fired for this in 2010 when he choked Justin Roberts with his tie. You'll never see anything like this. If you go watch like a a hardcore or a last man standing match today. And the, after watching this, it'll be like, you'll, you'll look at today's physicality and violence, you know, violent storytelling in today's WWE. It'll look like you spent the night at like a trampoline park. You know what I mean? Like between, you know, the, the, the choking around the ring posts with a leather belt, like there's no way that they would get away with that stuff. And what amazes me with that nowadays is, and, and it's, it's societal and I get it. And, we become a, a very hypersensitive society. What, what I find very intriguing about pro wrestling is the fact that years ago, characters were protected. Uh, faces and heels were protected. Um, you know, like when you saw an oh, big back body drop, 
through the announce table. JBL's hurting. Um, when when you look at like you're supposed to believe that the Iron Sheik supported the Ayatollah, actually hated America, you know, was pro Iran. I mean that, and they protected that. It wasn't you know oh, I'm playing a character on TV. I play the Iron Sheik. No, you were supposed to believe that. And for years, that's what the wrestling business was built on. That you had characters that would never admit to being characters. They were, they were that person you saw on TV. Now, you would think, since they pulled the curtain back and they basically told us, I mean, you'll, you'll have someone deliver an ass-whooping uh, on Monday Night Raw and then show up at a, you know, be a star rally and after quote-unquote bullying someone on TV, because they're like, well, that's just a character I play on Monday Night Raw. But in actuality, I've been bullied. Let's talk Boom. about that. Oh. Sorry, Sorry. That's okay. And I just find it interesting that, you know, like in movies, nobody gets bent out of shape when, you know, Stallone does something uber-violent in a movie. Um, because we know what the character is playing. Now they pulled the the... The curtain back, and we and they fully admit it. I mean, Triple H will go on SportsCenter and say, "That's a character I play on TV." You would think, as here we go, John Cena is busted open. You would think that would almost open the door to be able to add. Like you know, you said to us, you said to us, it's it's a storyline, it's a character. This isn't real. You blatantly come out and said that. So if someone's being choked in a match like we just saw, you could come go to a rally the next day for, for kids and be like, yeah, that was just, you know, a story we were telling last night. But we've become so hypersensitive as a society. It's I find it intriguing how we, we firmly are made to believe that these are characters and these are storylines, and yet we have to be more and more benign with the product in the ring. I mean, don't you find it? God, he is really bleeding. That's tripping out now. Yeah, this is probably yeah, this is your favorite part of the whole show right here, right? You were waiting all two, <laughs> all all ninety minutes to get to this spot. But you know, no, what? But, you know, it's no, funny because. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you're no, you're right about like, the 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 way the way it's structured today and how like, you know, Elias can hit Braun Strowman over the back with a guitar, and then the two of them could be at a Special Olympics, uh, you know, uh, rally. Uh, you know, the next day, and they say, you know, it's just characters I play on TV. But I, not to defend WWE, but you know, wrestling in general is held under a different microscope in the entertainment realm than a major motion picture featuring a guy like Sylvester Stallone. And I think, uh, with the unfortunate um, circumstances surrounding uh, the, the Chris Benoit situation and the details that had been made public regarding how, you know. The, 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 the victims had, had died during that situation. A choking incident like this is something that, you know, WWE, you know, tends to stay away from because they don't want to be seen and they don't want to be known or seen in that same sentence, you know, and being compared to the Benoit situation as JBL delivers a hellacious clothesline from hell to a bloody battered and beaten John Cena. Um, as the, like I said, the violence is starting to pick up more choking now here with the, uh, the, 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 the chain, the medallion that Cena had worn to the ring around his neck. Um, they, by the way, like, yeah, and, and now even with the, with the bloody face, John Cena's facials 
while he's being choked are, are, are priceless. You know, he's just, he is selling the hell out of being choked. Um, you know, again, looking at John Cena and looking at, you know, earlier in his career, building that reputation, um, you know, he has become over time that character that will not quit. Um, back then, as you see this crowd coming up as John Cena's fighting back, was behind that guy who just would not quit. Um, you know, it's become his catchphrase, never give up. But you're seeing the, the beginnings of the evolution of this John Cena character. Um, and he will not give up. He is a bloody mess and still will not say, I quit. And I, I got to say, it's still I still got to go with Eddie. But I, I did not remember this match. He's, he's bleeding pretty good here. Again, not like Eddie, but this is a pretty bloody matchup, Dan. You know what? You'll you'll see it at, at towards the end of the match when uh, spoiler alert: John Cena wins. For those of you that you know that that, that care, um, but you'll the differences and it, we're we're some we're some pretty sick fucks if we're going to be analyzing the differences between <laughs> who bled who who bled better between Eddie Guerrero and John Cena. But now that we've really gotten into this you know lengthy discussion about the amount of blood between the two, um, in the Eddie bleeding. You know, it was more like a faucet, and it just wouldn't stop. And it was just, you know, like I said, it was like someone turned the faucet on, and 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 the water was just coming out nonstop. Whereas like Cena, like you can, you'll notice here after he just delivered that move, and then you'll see it at the end, like the blood thickens up, and it gets so thick that like when they go to the closing shot of the pay per view, and he's holding up the two belts, and they show the you know the bloody look on his face, he can't see out of one of his eyes. There's that much blood. It almost like it just like sat there and like clotted. So like Eddie's was like thin and loose and Cena's was just like thick and chunky and clotted. And I can't believe I'm having this conversation with you <laughs> and our listeners about the differences between these two and how much they're bleeding. <laughs> there's, there's something that's wrong with me. There's a reason why I do this show. And it's true. Like, but, uh, but you're right, like, Austin, because at this point, even you look at John Cena, and again, this is like JBL giving Cena the finger. Um, you know, it's not dripping as much now. It's it's even starting to kind of dry up. And it, it, honestly, when you think about being a pro wrestler, we're going to think of this blood conversation. Cena borderline has, you know, given himself almost the the, the perfect blade job. He, he cut himself enough where he's got a really dramatic looking crimson mask, but he's not going to need a transfusion afterwards. And, and, you know, one of the things, I mean, obviously we're sad on so many levels that Eddie has passed, but I've never heard a shoot on that match. And I've always been curious if Eddie hit an artery, if they were concerned backstage as far as, um, you know, how much blood was, was pouring out of them. But, um, you know, John Cena has given us a great visual without risking death. Of course, I think Eddie kind of, uh, it was pretty crazy the amount of blood that was coming out of him. But John Cena not letting JBL escape, going to work. Now that the car is all bloodied up. Oh, this is, and this is what, you know, again, and, and I saw in, um, and we're going to see the blood conversation, but I had seen a shoot interview with, with Ric Flair. And Ric Flair said, when, when they asked him about blood, he said, there's nothing better. There's nothing better to tell a storyline or, or uh, you know, remind the uh, crowd of, of the intensity than, than a little bit of blood. 
And now, granted, Ric Flair got to the point where he was he was blading on his way down to the ring, um, and sometimes it could be too much. But there is something to be said where when you look at wrestling today and you look at um, injuries that occur, uh, you know, a lot of knee injuries and stuff. When you look at telling the story, um, a little cut on the forehead to me goes a lot farther. And in all honesty, is less of a risk to injury than a lot of the spots that we get today while blood is seemingly outlawed. And I find that interesting when you look at as, as JBL goes through the TV and wow, that's got to hurt going through a TV screen. Um, It's interesting when you look at, you know, behind the scenes and you look at, you know, a lot of injuries that we see big cats, presumably with another knee injury, you know, guys, and now JBL is busted open. Um, you look at that, as far as injuries go, and it doesn't need to be a lot, doesn't need to be Eddie Guerrero, a small cut with a razor blade in the folds of your forehead can go farther to tell a story than 17 flips over the top rope. And when you look at keeping stars healthy and keeping them upright uh, as JBL goes into the window of his limo, um, it's intriguing when you think about blood being outlawed because I think it could prevent a lot of knee injuries. And, and you know, growing up for me and, and as a pro wrestling fan, I don't remember seeing, you know, this many injuries, uh, you know, knee injuries repeatedly uh, in the industry. And I think it's a result of, you know, the propensity to do these crazy spots. Whereas back in the day, uh, give yourself a little cut on the forehead and the storytelling went that much farther. So, um, I don't think we'll ever get back to, to something like this. We'll, we'll never get to the level of like violence that ECW showed us. Um, but to me, in the proper place, at the end of a longstanding feud, uh, nothing tells a story more than a little bit of blood. Although right now, Dave, we're getting uh, more than just a little bit of blood. No, these two, they drew a goddamn sword to cut themselves practically. I mean, but you know, between Cena and, and, and JBL, but I, that's a comparison I've always, I've heard before. Uh, you know, you're not the first person to mention that. I actually heard JR uh, speak of that. I don't know if you, uh, you've heard that comparison from him as well. Oh, yeah, but, I, I mean, totally yeah. stole that from him. No, I, I mean, I don't care if you did. I'm not trying to call you out on it. I'm just saying, yeah, no, you know, I've fine. heard that you know, I, I, I've, I've heard that before. I mean, there's nothing wrong with stealing anything from JR. He's the greatest commentator of all time. But, yeah, I mean um, – instead of killing yourself with leg injuries and, you know, neck injuries and back injuries and, and, and things of that nature. I mean, the, when it's called for, when it's appropriate, you know, you, the, 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 the blood, you know, works. I mean, you don't have to necessarily, you know, blade yourself anymore. You can just take a stiff elbow from Brock Lesnar to the hairline and he'll split you open any day of the week. <laughs> He's got no problem doing that to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a different time and a different era. Um, you know, it's not what we're, what we, you know, you and I, and, you know, many of our listeners were, or were used to back then, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, oh, here we go. What the heck is that? He just hit him and it knocked over <laughs> the tank and then the, uh, the hose like went everywhere. Or something? Some sort of CO2 tank. I don't know what the heck. But, okay. But yeah. see, see, I do. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out. Oh, DDT, DDT, another oh. move that had been done to death. 
Jake the Snake perfected it, and then everyone had to steal it. Now it's a regular move like everybody else. Um, calling for the calling for the mic again. Yeah, I, I hate the fact that DDT has become just a transitional, <laughs> just slapping him with the microphone. So this is like good heel work right here, good heel face work. A frustrated JBL just pounding on John Cena. He's not going to quit, man. He's John Cena. He never gives up. Yeah, did you read his T-shirt there, buddy? He sold millions of them. <laughs> you know what's interesting, too? You brought this up at the beginning of this match, is that the, 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 the majority of this audience, 100%, were behind Cena. It was not just a few months after this, when he started the, the, the rivalry with Jericho, before Jericho took sabbatical, that when the people started to turn on him, um, you go back and you watch SummerSlam 2005, and he, was, he had the title match against Jericho, that crowd was like 50-50, you know, split between him and Jericho. It was, let's go Cena, let's go Jericho. And then that's when you started to really see, you know, the, the evil empire known as the internet wrestling community rear its ugly head and totally ruin the viewing experience for fans like us watching professional wrestling. They really did Mike ruin shot it. To, Mike shot to the head again by Cena. Boom, another one again. And there just so happens to be a table there oh! for him to land on. Just so <laughs> JBL's got a look on his face where, like, I'm cool with going through a table because I needed to take a breather. Let me just lay here for a bit. It's a good rest spot. Yeah. But there's no selling in that. He Look at him. He's crawling, getting up, just walking out. You just went through a table. You're supposed to sell it. Oh, I mean, I guess you could say the blood's kind of selling the beating that he's taken, but. You know, we're on the topic of an I Quit match, and I know you and I haven't watched, you know, tonight's SmackDown, but apparently Nakamura is supposed to uh, pick his stipulation for his match against AJ. Imagine if he picked an I Quit match, and then AJ tries to get him to say I Quit on the microphone, and he goes, no speak English, and Nakamura (laughs) wins the title. I'm not – wouldn't that be pretty cool? Like, he he wins the title because he don't speak English. And Cena with a smokestack. That would be awesome. At some point in the middle of the match, he just goes, you lose all you lose. And people are like, yeah. what does that mean? Did he say I quit? That's, yeah, and now JBL just said it too, but in English this time. <laughs> right before Cena goes to lay him out with the smokestack. And there you have it at 22 minutes and 45 seconds, a bloody battered and beaten John Cena has retained his WWE championship over JBL in a bloody, very physical, non-PG, I quit match. And this crowd was pretty hot for it um, when I watched it back earlier this week. Oh, oh, wait a minute. JBL, he thought he got the best of Cena. Oh, wait. Oh, boom. Through that glass staging that's right there. Cena takes the smokestack and rams JBL through the glass to a big pop. Now he takes his championship and walks back towards the ring so he can pose with all of his fans that will turn on him in four months' time and tell him that he can't wrestle for the next 13 years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Like, I would love to ask John Cena, like, what's going through your mind here? Like, do you have any concept at this moment as you are, like, covered in your own blood, busted your ass to put together 
a kick-ass I-quit match, holding two title belts aloft as the crowd, fireworks, the crowd's behind you. Did he have any inclination that things were going to shift in a hurry on him? And you're right. Then the, the you can't wrestle for the next decade plus for John Cena. Unbelievable. Like, I, I would love to just ask him if he knew in any way, if there's any market research, if he had ever, like, you know, maybe a couple house shows, he kind of felt the crowd turning, was wondering when that would happen. Um, I'd just be really curious to ask him, you know, if he saw that coming. Why'd the mute go off? Mute. Something else is coming on the network. But anyway, um, good stuff, Dave. Again, I know I said it a, a couple times, and I'm going to say it here again. Uh, not a big four. Not a, a historical. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a historical pay-per-view, but uh, creative and the talent, uh, you know, Hall of Famers, definitely future Hall of Famers on this card. Um, I don't know if I, if I go right to great, but definitely a very, very solid too great pay-per-view and it just makes you reminiscent of good creative and good storylines. But I'm glad we did this because I really enjoyed this pay-per-view top to bottom. Maybe it's a good thing. We, we skipped Heidenreich and Orlando Jordan, but I thought there was a lot of good in this pay-per-view and not a pay-per-view that we would jump to like quickly to say, Oh, let's definitely watch this. But it turned out it was the anniversary. Uh, we wanted to put a show together because scheduling is going to be a nightmare this next weekend's Memorial Day. We're not going to do a show next Sunday. Happy Memorial Day. Um, but today being the anniversary of this event, we decided to do it, and I'm glad we did. This is a really good pay-per-view, Dave. This was a good show, and I'm glad that we got to do this, and I'm glad that the listeners out there, this is a little preview of what you're going to be able to get to be involved in when kicking out at two debuts sometime later this year. I'm still working on some things, still in the planning stages, but it's, uh, this is the kind of stuff you're going to be able to be involved in. We'll do watch-alongs. Uh, we'll have, you know, retro discussions. I mean, it's going to be – you want to talk old-school wrestling? You come to me. You, you come to Dave Rosenblum's The Kicking Out of Two. And, and you'll, you'll – tonight what you got, you'll get that and then some when you listen to Kicking Out of Two. Yeah, definitely, definitely looking forward to that. And it was, it was a lot of fun looking back on this. And – like I said, not a pay-per-view that would jump out at me. Hey, let's watch Judgment Day 2005. But definitely a, a very fun, entertaining pay-per-view. And definitely, you know, even with our, our pre-shows and, and, you know, we give you predictions and opinions, we never watch the pay-per-view uh, along with you guys. So it was just fun kind of putting the pay-per-view on and giving reactions, giving a little commentary and, and, and talking about the, uh, the show. So real good show. Uh, looking forward to Dave dissecting some historical events when his show gets kicked off. And uh, uh, it was a good time. So you guys, like I said, scheduling has been kind of a nightmare the past few weeks. Um, I'm excited. I'm going to be at the Intrepid with my dog on Sunday, the site of Lex Luger's historical slam of Yokozuna. Um, they're going to be doing some stuff with some troops this Sunday, which I'm looking forward to, but Keep an eye on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Ken Reedy show for scheduling. We're definitely going to find some other times to put some episodes together. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. Everyone have a great Memorial Day for Dave. I am Ken. Good night, everybody. <laughs>